When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Odds are, if you're listening to this episode, you're alive. Congratulations, 2020 is still going. And uh, that, that's about it. Nothing else in the world is changing. And that's, that's the odd part of it. Um, you know, the beautiful thing is that we're here together and we at least get to talk about the things that entertain us and keep us moving. And I couldn't have another episode without the miraculous, mighty Mr. Mark Clare. Miraculous. I love, I want to see how many M alliteration descriptions of myself. My goal is to keep adding one to the title. So at one point you're going to have like, you know, a 12 word title at the beginning of each show. I want want to challenge myself with that. Miraculous is pretty good. That's almost putting me on like a, a deity-esque level. So I'm not going to argue with it. It's all a miracle, Remzo. The fact that we're here right now has uh, been birthed from the miracle of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. I don't want to call it a miracle, but I just did. Uh, but, you know, there's You're welcome, kind of, sort of, humanity. <laughs> right. There are silver linings everywhere. I have found a lot of silver linings in the pandemic. But one of them was the birth of this podcast, uh, finding time to put, put, the, put the effort into things to get this thing launched. And uh, really, it was inspired by having the extra time to go into look at books I haven't read in a while, uh, books I haven't looked at. And one way to justify reading even more books and reading stuff that I've read you know, 20, 30 years ago was by starting this podcast. So I am very grateful, at least for the circumstance that led to this uh, and several other things with the pandemic. But, you know, I don't want people being sick and I don't like wearing masks. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I can complain about, too. But we're not here to complain. We're here to, to celebrate. And there's nothing better to celebrate a show like this with reminding folks about the awesome giveaway we're still doing. You got about a week left until this giveaway ends. Mark, go ahead and give a rundown. Well, you have somehow found a way to acquire some of the very, very rare copies of X-Men number one. I hope you're putting air quotes around rare. Uh, you know, I will let the <laughs> listener put whatever quotes they would like around things. But uh, yes, yeah, so we have a cured some, procured some copies of that book. Uh, that book is special to this podcast because it represents the very first episode of this program where we took a deep dive into that first uh, initial X-Men run with Chris Claremont and Jim Lee. Uh, we will not talk about the last four issues of that. It's not important. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about it. 
kick back to episode one because we have been doing this for almost two months now, this program. So we've, if you're new, if you're just hopping on, we have quite a uh, back catalog to keep you busy about. We're usually clocking about 90 minutes or so on these episodes. So we got a solid weekend for you planned if you're just stumbling upon the show today. Uh, but yes, for there are a couple ways you could acquire one of these uh, copies of X-Men number one. One is you can join our Patreon at any level at all. Uh, we have levels starting at $5. We have $15. You can join us for a Zoom call every month at the Epic Crossover level at 25 a month. You get a trade paperback mailed to you, a secret mystery trade graphic novel uh, that you will not know what it is until you get it from selected by us. Uh, you get that every three months at that level. A Kirby Club, you get to produce one of these shows. We're waiting for our first Kirby Club member uh, where once a, once every three months you'll be able to produce an episode of this program. You'll be able to send Remzo and down a journey into whatever comic book rabbit hole you decide. Uh, so join our Patreon at any level. Again, that's patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Uh, you can also alternatively leave us a five-star rating and a great review on preferably Apple Podcasts. We'll take reviews from everywhere. If you want to give us a review on Stitcher, that's okay. But Apple is Everything helps. Place. Yes, everything helps. So we will not reject, uh, reject great ratings and reviews from anywhere. But if you send us a screenshot, you can uh, send that to us on social media, either uh, instant messages on uh, what Twitter at secondprintpod, Instagram at secondprintpod, or you can now email us. We're really fancy. We have an email now, secondprintpod at gmail.com. Just screen capture that review, send it to us, and we'll get a copy of X-Men number one your way. I think that covers it. I, I think we are being far too, far too accommodating. Especially but considering everything you had to go through to, to get those to get those issues. I had to beat an old person in climb down a like Lazarus full pit. submission. You had to climb down a Lazarus pit with a, an alternate version of reality of your dad. It was, oh, it was wait, a I'm whole confusing thing. that with something else. It, it, it got weird. Like, you know, midgets, old people, cops, future time cops. Uh, like a reverse gender version of myself, folks. I had to go through a lot of traumatic stuff to get these copies and we're giving them to you. And I mean, if you're signing up on Patreon, you're getting so much more out of it. We're doing bonus episodes, the Zoom calls, everything that Mark mentioned. Come on, you've only got until October 1st. So there's, there's really like literally we're giving this away to you. Take advantage of it while copies still last. Um, Mark, uh, this is an episode I've been planning for a little while because it's something that I typically have had to kind of talk to a lot of people one-on-one about. It's what do you read when there's nothing cool on TV? And after, you know, the Tiger King phase and all the other stuff, and now you've got some people watching channels like Bravo that they would have typically never watched in their normal circumstances. It seems like I've met more people during the last six months who have now started reading comics than at any other point in my life. Excellent. That's why we're here. We're here to find those people, capture them, uh, not keep them captured and not, you know, not restrain them in any way, but capture their minds, their hearts and imaginations and uh, lead them down some of our favorite stories over the years. And that's what we've been doing with the first you know, seven or so episodes of this program. But we're going we're gonna to do a little something different today. Well, we're, although we're still trying to turn people onto onto new things. That's what we've had the uh, ability to do with this extra time here in the pandemic. Yeah. And with the episodes that we've done thus far, Mark and I have really been going down really the stories that really stand out to us. But um, you know, this gives me an opportunity to kind of give you guys, and Mark included, uh, what we've put together is kind of the list of what we've been reading during this time. One thing that has been really awesome 
for consumers, not really awesome for comic shop owners, is that there have been massive discounts like I've never seen before over at Midtown Comics online. You can get up to 75% off most items. I don't know uh, what deals they're currently doing, but I mean, incredible, crazy discounts because they've got all this inventory they need to push out to make some cash. And I've been more than happy to you know give them my money and take a lot of their stuff off their hands. These have been the comics that I've been reading. So stuff that has kept me engaged so that way I didn't go into like a manic depression or go absolutely crazy since March. And, um, you know, some of these are stories that are still, you know, going on right now. So you could jump in with a little bit of knowledge and know where things are. And some stuff's been out for a while and I finally had the opportunity to go ahead and read them. Uh, let me see, Mark, I'll, I'll go first. I'll start this off. So I'll say one and then you can go ahead and throw your next one. Okay. The first one, because I've been on really, really this giant, like Rob Liefeld kick recently, I've been going back and trying to grab a lot of his stuff from the nineties, but, um, there's this one graphic novel that came out about two years ago. I was, uh, I, I wasn't working, so I didn't have a lot of money to spend on comics. So when I saw this on the shelves, uh, recently at a discounted rate, I was like, you know what? This is the universe saying, good job, Rem. So here you go, and you don't have to pay full price. It was an original Marvel graphic novel, so that means it had no single issues. It was just a one-and-done graphic novel called Deadpool Bad Blood. And what I love about this is um, people forget, like, as far as Cable and Deadpool are concerned, both Liefeld creations, he hasn't written many Deadpool and Cable stories over the last 25 years. And what was awesome was that this graphic novel, I think coincided with either the first Deadpool or the second Deadpool. And it was drawn and written by Liefeld. And my gosh, there's a reason why when this came out, it sold more copies than any Deadpool graphic novel going back at least a decade. It is pure raw nineties action. You see Cable and X-Force, you see just these giant, like monstrous villains that you're trying to figure out like who they are and what's going on. You get to see the return of weapon X. Um, This has been a story that like, I, I totally get why uh, some people say there are like two different versions of Deadpool because um, you know, the one that we've seen in popular culture a lot lately in the games and the cartoons and the films, he's really like this slapstick comedy type of character, despite the fact that he's also violent as hell. And work with the mouth. Yeah. And I mean, Liefeld, I, I totally see this when you go back to like some of the earlier stuff too. Like he, he was always like, you know, the Merc with the mouth as, as you, you know, rightfully reminded me, but he wasn't like this super comedic character who's constantly jumping around in different costumes and cracking jokes every two seconds. It's a Deadpool that focuses more on the action and less on just the shock factor of things. Because I, I, I collected a uh, Deadpool, uh, the, like I think it was the third or fourth series in like the mid two thousands. And it was funny, except, you know, a lot of the action, a lot of the violence that I associate with Deadpool, it seemed to get kind of pushed aside for like one or two panels of shock factor, like him blowing up or something like that. And then just like all jokes all day. And don't get me wrong. Like I like a funny Deadpool, but I loved about the series that Liefeld gets right to it. You're going to see ass-kicking action from page to page to page. And what's great about this is I picked it up for like less than 15 bucks. So first on my list, I've reread it like a dozen times already. Deadpool Bad Blood is probably the one find during this pandemic that has made everything so much better. 
Yeah, I haven't read this one. Uh, you've made me want to read it, but I, I have been flipping through the artwork here. And uh, if you are a fan of 90s comics, of of the image guys, of Rob Liefeld specifically, like you're going to love the art because the art, like you said, it, it looks like a 90s comic book straight up. Uh, it looks like Rob Liefeld drawing vintage Lob Liefeld. Rob Lob Liefeld? Lob Liefeld. <laughs> the R-Boys. <laughs> Rob? Anyway. Lim, Lab. Everything is just going to be with L's from now on. But yeah, it looks badass. I'm going to check it out. That's what I can say about it. I can't comment further since I haven't read it. And what, what I do say is that the, the, one, the one cool thing about these original graphic novels, well, you might not think this is cool. You can't read this on like Marvel Unlimited. I'm pretty sure if you go on Comixology, you'll have to buy the whole thing. But uh, Marvel followed DC's trend of doing direct-to-market original graphic novels. And so far, they've been really cool. They, they had one for Spider-Man where Spider-Man meets his apparently long-lost sister. I think it's called Spider-Man Family Ties. Uh, Liefeld um, did a couple others over the years, but that's what's cool about these. If you want to go ahead and pick up just a self-contained story in one sitting, uh, original graphic novels, OGNs from both Marvel and DC are probably the best way to go for this. And it's like, I want to say like 50, 60 pages. So you're getting it probably for a better rate than most other graphic novels because the, what I've seen is that they've began to really you know mess with the prices to really price gouge people. This one, I think the MSRP was like 17 bucks. I got it for 15, so I'm not complaining. I got way more money than I got way more comic for my money. So those tricky bastards, we can't. I can't go watch this on our Marvel Unlimited account. Watch this, read this. That's how they get you. They're like, if you want this awesome Liefeld goodness, you got to pay the price. And does this take place in continuity in any way, or is it sort of just kind of its own thing that could or could not? So it's good you bring that up. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Like there was a there was an OG every comic book at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah, but they've 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 been forced to kind of deal with this because of the fan reaction. Like there was a a a graphic not an OGN called Avengers War Song that came out in I think 2013 2014, and it was bad. So Marvel came out saying, oh, don't worry. It's like an else. It's like a, you know, what if tale. It's another universe. Then they came out with this, with another one called uh, Avengers Wrath of Ultron or Ultron Imperative, one of those things. And it was really well. So, it, it, I mean, it sold a ton of copies. So everyone was like, oh, well, guess what? It's continuity. Um, with Deadpool Bad Blood, I don't think it is. And it's because it was popular, but I also think if they did any more of that, they would have to have more Liefeld involvement, and Marvel likes keeping him at arm's length right now. So it usually depends on fan reaction and typically all that inside political stuff amongst writers and artists. So whether it is or whether it isn't, the story's still awesome. And whether you have actively collected Deadpool or you only like him from the films, I think that this is really just a great addition to, you know, really round off your collection pretty well. Yeah, it makes me think of something uh, that wasn't on my my initial list to talk about, but I, I just read the first issue of uh, Batman Three Jokers not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and, you wrote uh, a review on that, right? I did. You can which you can find at secondprintcomics.com. We don't just do podcasts now, folks. We are also doing occasional sporadic reviews. Uh, and I think the reviews may tend to end up just because of the way that we're reviewing things, probably more on the positive side because we're not just reviewing every book out there. We're just me and you are just reviewing books that we would pick up that we are picking up anyway. Uh, so I think we're going to be more inclined to only. I, for me personally, I don't buy that many modern comic books. Uh, there's very few series I follow regularly. I just kind of pick up 
series, either whether it's miniseries or graphic novels, kind of here and there. I kind of just pick things out. Uh, and th- but this is one thing I've been waiting on for so long. And but it's a similar thing, and uh, where it is, uh, it could be in continuity it could not be uh and that's something similar to the killing joke uh which is one of the inspirations for this book it took um, like 15 years for them to finally say that was canon exactly it was supposed to be non-canon uh but eventually they did incorporate the paralyzing of Bar- of uh, barbara gordon into dc comics and that occurred in the killing joke so that essentially made it canon and a lot of people out there online are saying oh you know this uh, you know three jokers isn't canon you don't need to worry about it it's like well if you read it it could be in canon if they place it in a certain time um, um, Alfred is there, so it couldn't be exactly right now, modern modern DC. Uh, but it, it could be. It's written in a way that it could be or couldn't be. I think. I think it's safe to say right now. I, depending I say, on how you want to put it up. Yeah, I say this about most continuities. If you don't like a current fixture within the current canon, give it five years. Right. Like. And, yeah. And yeah, Jason. I mean, Jason Fabok even said like. This is written in a way that it could be in canon. We have a, we have more story to tell beyond this, uh, but it's going to amount to DC editorial and the fan reaction. So, like you said, anything they do, it's under the black label, so it might not be. Uh, you know, it's it's in theory not necessarily canon, but it's in theory not necessarily not. So, time will tell. Like you said, wait five yeah. years. Yeah, and I mean, I, I like this approach to it sometimes because when you label it a certain way or you have it come out in a different package, like it says single issues, it's just an OGN where it's all in one book. You, you kind of give them a little bit more flexibility to see what, what is gauged and what is not gauged. Because like in the world where we can customize everything and where fan reaction can pull things out in there like the Snyder Cut, I think I'm willing to give publishers more leeway when they go with a story like this um, with a little bit more of like a hands-off approach. Like if you like it, we can do more. If you don't like it, we'll end it where it is because that way we're not, we're not like, you know, being force fed bad stories. Right. Right. Speaking of bad stories, <laughs> that's a great segue into the first pandemic Uh-oh. book that I want to talk about. Spoiler alert. Um, and so one one thing I did over the pandemic is I I went back and read some some fairly modern stuff that I just didn't want to pay for at the time, uh, but that I was kind of interested in seeing what was going on about. So I, I have different levels of interest in things. There's an interest that I might have where I'm going to pay for it right away and get it, like in you know, Batman Three Jokers. I was getting that right away. Uh, and then there's things like, well, I'm interested and in I want to see where this goes, but not willing to pay for it. So I'm going to wait till it's on Marvel Unlimited or pay extra for it anyway. I'm going to wait till it's on Hoopla and then I'm going to check it out. And this is uh, one little rabbit hole I went down here was Jonathan Hickman's X Men. Um, not his. I haven't gotten to the the actual series yet but i i did read the two simultaneous series that set it up house of x and powers of x and i went into this really interested in it really wanting to like this uh story uh i've been a fan of a lot of jonathan hickman's work at marvel particularly his fantastic four a huge fan of his fantastic four run uh i even really liked a lot of his avengers run uh that interweaved through a lot of the major marvel events uh that got very complicated at times it involved uh incursions it involved the destruction and creation of multiverses it involved uh battle world and secret wars and it was very complicated but i i enjoyed it uh i mean there are many critics of secret wars i really liked that the that secret wars as, as a fantastic four story uh we can go into that another day but point being i generally have have enjoyed the work that jonathan hickman has done when it comes to uh marvel super superheroes so i was very ready to enjoy these stories um and i i like i think hickman has great Concepts. I think I think I like a lot of the concepts that, that he put forward here. Uh, this is again for anyone that hasn't read this, read this. As always, uh, anything we discuss here is spoiler filled. So if you're if you don't want to be spoiled about you've the series, yes, you've been warned. That's all I can do. Um, 
so the, the, the main, the central concept here is that uh, we're, we're basically seeing three stories at once. We're seeing the past, the new past, because the past has changed. I'll get to the reason for that in a minute. Uh, we have what's taking place in basically the present, and then we have a very far off future. Actually, I think I might have already been messing this up. Where there, I think there were two different futures. Actually, there uh, were. There there's the, the yeah. one that was already set to occur, and then there's the one that's actively changing in front of them. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and, and the farthest off future, basically, like the the world is run by these Nimrods, which are like or Nimrod, which is basically like a, a next generation Sentinel. Um, intelligence wise uh that you know it's it's complicated there's 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 several layers of it but the the central impetus of the entire plot line is that moira mctaggart who has never been a mutant before she's been you know charles xavier's lover but always been involved with the x-men uh she brainwashed the x-men in x-men mutant she's Genesis. whatever the story needs her to be that's how i've always felt about her depending that, that on, exactly when, what on what era you read her like she's never really like the same character yeah so in this story, Jonathan Hickman, I guess, needed her to be a mutant. So she now it's now revealed that Maura McTaggart is a mutant, but her power is that when she dies, she is reincarnated back, but not not in the present. She's reincarnated back into her baby self, which creates a new timeline, and she remembers her past lives. So now every time Maura McTaggart dies, she is reborn with the knowledge of what has previously occurred, and that creates a new timeline where she is manipulating things to try to achieve a different result in time. And the look on Remzo's face right now Holy is absolutely shit. priceless. It's I absolutely never, priceless. I never knew that was a thing, and that just sounds that sounds horrible. <laughs> it that's really like some work. extra traumatic benjamin button shit right there <laughs> holy crap it and yeah and we does, see it, like, does it end uh i don't think it well it depends i don't I mean, they just gotta drop it and forget about it in theory she had 13 lives i think that had been recorded and but i think in the current one she is still alive so it you know i think it starts again if she if she dies again i, I i'm pretty sure um but yeah i mean wow I, this story again. I don't know I how I feel much. about that. It's it's weird. Yeah. So the the end result of this is this is this is basically we're seeing the events of her thirteenth try at life, and we're also seeing the end of her last try too, where, where she's uh-huh. basically at the end of her last one. They they they're in this far future, and and more McTaggart realizes what they have to do. They're about to be defeated uh, by the Nimrods, and there's also another really complicated storyline that I never understood with like with these aliens that come in and want to merge these other aliens. And I can't, I can honestly say, I have no idea how that tied into the storyline really hardly at all. That confused me the entire time, but that is, that is such as the way with Jonathan Hickman. Uh, I mean, such was the way with a lot of his Avengers stuff and his build up to secret wars difference being, I just enjoyed that complicated stuff and I didn't enjoy this complicated stuff as much. Uh, but essentially Wolverine kills Mora at the, at the end of one timeline because on purpose, because she wants to go back and she realizes what she has to do differently now. And in this timeline, she approaches Charles Xavier from the beginning and, and she, she sits on a park bench next to him and starts talking to him. He's like, do I know you? Like, cause she's being really weird and she knows his name. And she's like, you know, she's like, just look in my, just read my mind. I know who you are. And so he just reads her mind and sees all of his her past lives. She sees, oh, that's all, sees all the attempts, sees sees how every single life in some way or another, the attempts at peace and Charles Xavier's way fail, uh, whether they fail in the, the immediate term or the, the longer term or in the case of this last future, which is like a thousand years of the future, um, you know, in every way it ends up failing somehow. So she basically talks Charles Xavier into a different path um, and is you know, I guess the, the simplest way to put it is she talks in, into into Magneto's path, only kind of um, kind of 
underneath everything. Like it's not it's not as the, transparent. The, 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 the nickname, the nickname the internet has given this new professor this new version of Professor X is fascist Professor X. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's pretty much accurate. And uh basically we see from the beginning, at least in this new timeline that is created out of this, and it's it's really not clear how all of this plays into the current Marvel universe where all these characters have memories of a certain way things played out. Um I don't know which timelines the current characters are supposed to have remembered. Uh we'll get to that. Um, yeah, but essentially, uh, Xavier joins up with Magneto early on. He's like, hey, I know what you're thinking. Uh, this is the right way, you know, because I read Moore's mind. And they go and team up with uh, Mr. Sinister from the very beginning as well. And basically, they're working with him on this, like, kind of clone technology from the beginning. So basically, in the current timeline, I guess, it, I, I, it's really confusing. Oh, no, 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 no mutants are allowed to die anymore. That yeah, was an so- editorial decision, but that was also something they did in the comics. Right, and this is a, this is a place that came back. I think it's business wise associated with um, you know Disney's acquiring of the X Men and their plans to do X Men movie, movies. Because at one point, when they had sold the rights to Fox, uh, they kind of got away from mutants for a while. They even got rid of most of the mutants uh, at the words of the Scarlet Witch in the House of M story, which uh, we should probably look at that one at some time too. That's one of the stories that I went back and I, read I love I that one. Yeah, so uh, for a while there were no mutants, and then we had some mutants come back, and uh, at one point we had all the five uh, original X Men from the 90s come back or not from the 90s from the 60s uh be brought back from the past and join these current x-men so at one point there was uh, a current cyclops who kind of turned bad uh turned full evil uh while there was also a teenage cyclops here um bad cyclops eventually gets killed this is all pre you know before any of this jonathan hickman stuff but i was hoping that hickman would really tie some things together and make this x-men story more streamlined and less complicated that is not the case my friends he made this thing way more complicated it's not even clear which realities have happened it's it's not clear if like so have xavier and magneto been working together the entire time with the current memories the characters have of how we've seen it play out in continuity or has continuity changed and if so if so how would that have affected all the other marvel marvel comics and Marvel heroes and their interactions with the X-Men over the years. It's not really clear, but the point is at this point in time, at the present point that we're looking at, uh, Xavier and uh, Magneto have taken uh, refuge on the Isle of Krakoa, which is actually a living mutant. And uh, Krakoa has these little, um, I guess these little spores that people can take out yeah. and use to teleport back to Krakoa. So it's, it's very useful, very useful situation. And basically this becomes the refuge of all mutants. And again, these these stories are all taking place kind of simultaneously. We're bouncing mm-hmm. back between the future, uh, this kind of present time, and the past where Mora and uh, Mora and Professor X. And I'm just picturing people at home that haven't read this is getting more and more confused. It, I don't know if it's more confusing if you've read it or if you haven't read it. I'm not. I'm actually I, not sure. So Matt Pataglia, like last December, tried to get me on board with the with the new Hickman X Men, and I had picked up House of X issue one at my comic book shop, but like I have not. And I, the, the first series I started really like seriously collecting in 2005 was Uncanny X-Men. It was when uh, Bendis was doing the Messiah Complex storyline. It's one of my favorite X-Men stories. With this new one, what they've basically done is they've done all this crazy shit to redo the canon. I feel like I don't, I think Hickman's an amazing writer. And I want to preface this with, I have the, my best positive and best negative opinions of him. I think he is a great writer. He's also written some of my least favorite stories. Mm-hmm. Like I did not like, I did not like secret war. I didn't like a few of the other stuff he's done, but he's, he's written some stuff I do like um, with this current X-Men. It's just such a hodgepodge of like corporate interests and attempts to appease old fans and new fans. 
he he lost me. I I'm I I got I gave him I gave him one shot. I collected issue one of all the new X titles that came out: X Men, Marauders, Hellions, um, X Force, Wolverine. I all of them are now attached to this new X continuity, and I am not a fan of any of them. Yeah, and it's confusing. So, is the X continuity a separate thing now? I mean, it's just it's just hard because because for that continuity to, to have changed so much, you have to change everything else about the Marvel universe. Yes, exactly. Like literally, because they're a major part of every major event and every story, and uh, they've interacted with every character. And yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's weird. And, I, I like Disney because they tried to sidestep them with Avengers versus X Men. That I think was also a Hickman story. I think uh, that was that was terrible. How they just completely made the X Men into villains just to prop up the Avengers because their movie was coming out and then when they were trying to push that atrocious inhumans tv show they they just gave us a bunch of inhumans comics that all sucked but i think hickman wrote some of them too yeah hickman wrote some of the avengers vs. x-men it was a it was a team effort with uh jason aaron brian michael bendis a couple other writers the fact that you had more than one writer on their shows that was always well, doomed yeah as we looked at with uh maximum carnage in the last episode whenever you have four writers writing a story it's gonna suck there's just yeah. no way around this it's gonna suck um, yeah, so, um, oh, so where does this go? I guess the big points here are, and now in the, in the present time, like, like Remza said, X-Men are not allowed to die and that is literal. So now they have, uh, they have this device and, uh, basically they rebirth the five because I think all of them have died. The five being the five original X-Men, Cyclops, um, Iceman, Beast, Beast, Archangel, yeah, or yeah. Angel, or he's Angel in yeah. this case when they bring him back. Yeah, they, they all get reborn, and basically they have this weird situation where now if an if a mutant dies, okay, if a mutant dies, they can regenerate that mutant, and it will it will maintain all the memories up to the point of its death. So they're, they're recloning mutants and re- bringing them back to life, but they have all the memories of the past. Which past? I don't know, because there's 13 of them. Oh, there's 13 more in McTaggart timeline, so I'm not exactly sure which past they're remembering, but they're remembering everything, essentially. They're not they're not new, uh, new characters. So they rebirth the five, the original five, but I guess they have all the memories of everything that's happened over the years. Um, and, and then basically, the, uh, basically Xavier and Magneto uh, give a, and Xavier wears this weird, this, this helmet. He basically wears Cerebro at, at all times. Um, yeah. He went to he the now, gym too. Now he's got like a six pack. He's yeah, lean as fuck. He's, he's ripped Xavier. He brings in a bunch of villains that are part of the council. This council, I mean, um, let's see, Mr. Sinister, like I said, is involved. Uh, basically Apocalypse is on this council that they have. I mean, I mean, it's every mutant is basically involved in this. And that's, and that's all, what turns me off so much. The idea of Apocalypse following Xavier and Magneto is just, just stupid. That isn't so his character is so much bigger than ever caring if like how humans integrate, like how mutants and humans interact in society. They have like a one lo- offline in one of the books where he's like, I guess I'll try your way for a minute. It's like, what are you, this is apocalypse. This is like a, a character bent on destruction. The first mutant, like he should not be following Xavier. That's, that's there, there's a, there, there's an issue of X-Men that came, I'm sorry. There's an issue of Wolverine that came out recently where they're on Krakoa and Wolverine needs to borrow Magneto's helmet. So what he does is he takes Magneto to like a bar on Krakoa, they get hammered and Magneto blacks out and Wolverine takes his helmet. And I'm reading this. I'm like, Magneto would never go drinking with Wolverine. How stupid do you think I am to think that this is something that would actually happen? I feel, I feel like he, like with, with Fantastic Four, his Fantastic Four is great. I feel like he, I feel like he really knows very little to nothing about these characters for the X-Men. Or doesn't care to know. Or doesn't care. wants to create his own thing. Which, I mean, if you wanted to do, if you wanted to literally do anything else, that would be fine. But, like, I have not 
bought an X-Man book in like a year. What I don't get now, too, is now that uh, Disney has reacquired the rights to uh, the X-Men in the movies and they uh, presumably, uh, after giving it a, f- a few years breath, are going to do their own line of X-Men films. Why are they having this story where the X-Men essentially become the villains of the world under under Professor X and Magneto? They basically give an ultimatum to the rest of the world like, you know, we're our own thing now. We have sovereignty. You, you can't harm mutants. Humans, hu- mutants are always welcome here. And uh, don't mess with us or we'll kill you, essentially. This is what they, what they subtly say. And uh, I don't understand why this is the setup to the new X-Men. It doesn't even make me want to read his X-Men run. The, the, I'm, I might read it just because we have comics uh, or because we have Marvel Unlimited, I should say. Uh, so I may as well just check it out. But I can't see myself giving it much time because I've, I've put in enough effort with these two stories. And man, I think Jonathan Hickman has great ideas. He's really good at like dialogue and characters. I can't really fault him on that front, but... I'll say this. He goes off on these tangents where it's like he has an idea that sounds interesting and then he just refuses to get off that train. He's like, we're going to keep going on this until it crashes. And that's that's what I'm afraid of him kind of doing because like with Secret War, not, not to spoil too much of Secret War, but Secret War ends in a way where you think it matters and then when all the other writers at Marvel looked at the post-Secret War, ex- I'm sorry, Marvel continuity, they were all like, yeah, no, this is too complicated for any of us to understand. Yeah. So now it's like Secret War doesn't matter. Yeah, and then there's just like straggling characters around from from the whole thing, like the Maker and Miles Morales. And I, I know there are certain characters they didn't want to give up, but it's kind of like, it kind of makes it not matter too. When they is the Punisher the real Punisher or the other Punisher? They still haven't answered that. And there was questions about the that the ultimate Wolverine being in, in this reality at one point. And yeah, they keep showing up with these all these ultimate characters, so which is basically what, what that was supposed to end. It's a it's a uh, it's a Hickman mess. That's his own thing. It's a Hickman mess. It is. It's it's a, it's a term we should coin. It's a term he did just coin a Hickman mess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's very similar here. It's like, how do you even clean this up? Like, I don't even know. The only way to clean this story up, because at some point, you know, they're going to want regular good guy X Men back when they get back around to actually promoting movies. There's, there's no way they're going to have the fascist X Men as the base <laughs> of the franchise when they're promoting new movies with Wolverine and, and Cyclops. I mean, they're going to have the classic <laughs> versions of those characters. Unless they did a fascist X Men, maybe they just hate the X Men so much that they're going to do that in the movies too. Who knows? Maybe they'll just make them the villains of the movies too and have the Avengers battle them. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this. <laughs> at some point, someone's going to have to clean this up. You know that. And at some point, they're going to change reality to. And they're going to send more McTaggart back for a new timeline. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to clean it up. It's going to get cleaned up, but it's not going to be a, a pretty cleanup. And it's going to be because they gave Hickman the free reign to do this. And I can't say it's not imaginative. I, I actually like the concept in theory of the the thing with Mora dying and coming back and changing reality. I like it as like this would be an interesting Elseworlds Elseworlds type story or a what if type story to, to look at. But as trying to change and affect the entire X Men continuity and therefore how it interacts with the Marvel continuity. It's just too much, and it sucks. Is, is more important. It sucks. It's no, it's no fun to see the X Men as, as just a bunch of fascists. Like I don't even know how I'm supposed to liken this. Everyone's just falling in line behind Xavier and Magneto. No one, even the most independent characters, aren't really questioning things. Like X Men, like Wolverine, just going along with things. Apocalypse, just going along with things. I mean, this is like no character has any kind of real personality because they're all just falling in line with Xavier at the end of the day. Okay, let's address the big elephant in the room. Okay, the Wolverine. Jean Grey, Cyclops, Thropple. Yeah, and I think he's gone further with that. I don't know if they really touched on that in, in House of X and Power. Oh, they've gone further. They've gone, they've gone further all the way since. with that now, right? Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, nobody man. says it, but it's a thing. And then if you, if I think in House of X, they actually show show like the new living quarters for like the different families, and then you have like House Summers, and then with 
like Wolverine is in-house summers. It's like Cy- Cyclops shares a conjoined room with his girlfriend's boyfriend. That's all it comes down to. And you're watching this. And it's like, are they going to address this? And Hickman and the others are like, nope. And it's like, this is, this is weird. And who are we supposed to like in this scenario? Wolverine? No. Jean Grey? No. Cyclops for putting up with it? No. <laughs> it's <sighs> just, the, I, I don't mind people being experimented. I don't, mind, I don't mind comic books being experimented with if you're trying to change things up. But this is this shit has gone on for over I mean, two years now. And it's I always not, like the tension. I always like the tension of Wolverine kind of being into Jean Grey. Like, that's great. But this is n- not that. <laughs> This is they've they've jumped the shark on this. This is weird. Yeah, that's. that's I, I know that we're in this new progressive age and everything, and maybe I just sound old fashioned, Mark. But there's something weird about Jean Grey having a, two boyfriends that are cool with it. There's a comic book cuckolding going on. It's what? literally that, and if it's anything, it, it should be like the movies where it's like, oh, I don't like it, but whatever type of thing. Now it's like they're just totally cool with it. That's what's weird. They're totally cool with it. No one has said anything, but they're cool with it. We all know how it happens, but now it's it's there. It is there indeed. So we'll see where, well, I don't know if we'll see where it goes. I'll hear where it goes. I don't plan to read much more of this or if any more of this, to be honest. But I I am at least curious uh, to see where it all goes with the X-Men and, and in a few years. Because this this can't just be the status quo now. I mean, Disney will not want this. When, no. Once the kids start buying the, the comics because they saw the movie and everything. And they're getting they all the wheelchair toys Professor X. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, not not six pack sexy metalhead Professor X. They they don't want fascist X-Men. Yeah, so if I was going to rate this under our, our standard system, well, I don't know. The art's been fine throughout. I can't even tell you who the artists have been on these books. David so Finch? No, it's not Finch. Yeah. It's somebody else. They, the the arts, the, the arts not the problem. But here's the thing: no, you can have a perfect artist. It's the story that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I, I might give the art like an, an average three, but the story is going to drink this down. I mean, I, I can't give it more than I don't know. 0.5 a one like it's really bad i don't know how else is there <laughs> i mean this, this overall thing might get like a like a four and that's only because the art is okay you know wow so don't read this guys don't unless you're as, like me like if i heard us talking about this i would be fascinated to, to read it now because i'm sick like that i like to read things that are odd and bad and, and i just want to know uh but unless you're sick and twisted like me don't yeah don't read this <laughs> that's what i would say all right remzo what do you got next uh i've been on a superman kick recently I watched uh, Superman one through three, the old George Reeves classics. And I wanted to go ahead and jump more into what's going on with DC. I've, I've been a avid collector of a, a majority of the DC titles, but with Superman, I always felt I read him in all these other books. Why do I want to read just a Superman only title? And my God, I have been spending so much time on Amazon trying to fill up my new Superman uh, DC rebirth continuity. So I, I, I read Superman and action comics during the new 52 reign, but towards the end of that, it just got really weird because I felt like, the new 52 Superman was so unrecognizable as a character. The stories were interesting, but Superman as a character didn't have that panache that we all know him for. There's very little Clark Kent left. So around 2016, I I stopped and uh, around DC rebirth, I started seeing more of the stuff that was happening. And I was like, okay, I'll wait to see how others react to it. So I started reading uh, DC rebirth action comics, volumes one through five by Brian Michael Bendis. And it is Superman like I've never read him before. And right now I'm reading um, 
uh, Action Comics now with Bendis and uh, John Romita Jr., one of my favorite artists. And John Romita Jr. My gosh, like the the thing about Superman, I, I do think that is a valid criticism. Superman over the years, if you don't have a writer that's willing to really go to the essence of the character and put him in strange positions that no one would typically imagine him being in. That's how you get good Superman stories. But, you know, Superman for the most part is not a hero that we think of when we think of really anything that we would deem original stories. It seems like a lot of Superman runs are just reruns of older Superman stories. And what uh, DC Rebirth did was it changed the whole continuity again. Now we've got Dr. Manhattan and fix fixing everything and you've merged the infinite crisis timeline of dc with the new 52 version of dc so a lot of things have changed and a lot of things haven't changed superman now has these merged memories and they've also taken some things out like the wonder woman superman relationship that's from a uh, superman reborn was a story where, where yeah. basically all of yeah basically new 52 superman and old Superman who was carried over from the infinite crisis timeline. He came over and had the kid, Jonathan Kent, and uh, he was kind of like living in the woods with a beard. And then at some point um, through a series of machinations involving Mr. Mitzelplick and Mr. Oz, who was actually Superman's father, Jor-El. To go down the whole, Jor-El, um, basically they, the two Supermen became merged, including all their memories, which again, just like the X-Men, it's not clear which ones really happened in relation to other characters and which ones didn't. Um, but yeah, well, you know, they, they I, that was the last Superman story I read actually in the, in the, after uh, DC rebirth uh, yeah. was that, um, that Superman reborn where I was just like, I don't, now I don't know what, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> well, they, they did it in a way where at least they tried to tell you what happened. So they flat they out did, say yeah. that the Superman Wonder Woman relationship didn't happen. Uh, prior to that, uh, new 52 Superman had his identity leaked. Now in the current story arc, he has willingly let the world know his identity. So that's still something that's going on right now in Superman action comics. But then there's other stuff where it's like, okay, Superman versus Doomsday. It is confirmed that with this current conjoined Superman that he did die at the hands of Doomsday at one point. But, uh, you know, they we're still trying to figure it out, and I think they're going to continue to do it. But what this has done is it's put Superman in a way where he finally feels whole again, while at the same time dealing with the effects of this new universe. Like, one of the stuff that's happened... Uh, since that whole story is uh, Lex Luthor's back to being a bad guy. Well, post-rebirth, Lex Luthor was a good guy. So now you're dealing with a Lex Luthor that wants to be the world Superman. So now he's kind of fighting the real Superman for the role and stuff like that. So you get to see this weird dynamic where now Superman, in some cases, has to work with Lex Luthor to fight General Zod and other stuff. So it's moments like that where it's like now we have the whole Superman but he's in a completely different world. And my gosh, I have not had enough of this. I don't think I had more than maybe like two Superman graphic novels up until recently, but, uh, you know, ordering all the DC rebirth stuff to catch me up with the action comics run has been awesome. And I mean, this is, this is what I love about DC. They know how to really make the fans feel comfortable, but still excited for more. Um, they, I think their editorial room is a lot more cohesive than some of the other publishers. And with the Superman run, my gosh, if you can make the world's oldest superhero seem new again, you've done something phenomenal. And Brian Michael Bendis, I swear, 
since he came to DC over two and a half years ago, his DC comics run with young justice and a few of the other stuff has just been phenomenal. He is, he's back in his prime again and working with someone like John Romita jr. Who was at Marvel the same time as him. You've got these two great people now getting to feel fresh in a Superman title. And it's awesome. So yeah, DC rebirth action comics. So uh, as someone who did follow the Superman titles after Rebirth for a couple of years but didn't get to the Bendis run, would you recommend me hopping on and checking that oh, out? Oh, absolutely. You're going to get hooked. It's just it's just that good. It's it's reading Superman, but ne- but you lose all the predictability that you had of the old Superman runs. Nothing is the same anymore. And when they brought back uh, you know, Jor-El as Mr. Oz, oh my gosh. I that I think that is what put Superman back on my radar. All right. Well, maybe I'll hop back on board and give it another shot. You will and, not regret and, and, it. After DC Rebirth, I hopped into a lot of stories, and this is a direct transition into the next book we'll talk about. There's a lot of stories I hopped onto just to see what they were going to do. Some I stuck with longer. Some, some I only did the first issue. Others I stuck with for you know maybe the first arc. And um, so you sampled a good bunch of them because it was every title that got affected by this. I sampled almost all of, at least all of the main ones. Um, you know, like I, I, I think I bought the first Flash, the first Green Lantern, the first uh, Wonder Woman. I read the first few arcs of, the, of Wonder Woman. Um, but the one that kept me around the longest, I should say, uh, both the Superman titles that keep me around for a while. But then uh, the one that not only kept me around the longest, but also make me stop reading in the most sort of annoyance was Tom King's Batman run. And this is something we oh, discussed on and off. <laughs> um, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by some of my comments today, but we'll, we'll see. So I basically read the, that Tom King run. I really liked it in the beginning. Um, and this is before the current pandemic reading, but I read up through, I think I, ju- I jumped off a little bit after the war of jokes and riddles. Cause I really liked a lot of the early stuff. I really liked a lot of, uh, what they did with, uh, the character of Gotham and Gotham girl, uh, and, and their story. Um, that whole first arc I really enjoyed. I kind of liked, I am suicide, uh, where he, he kind of put together this sort of, that was deep. deep. It was, but then I hate, you know, this is where my annoyance, this is about where my annoyance started to be honest was a lot of the characters that he brought in for this ragtag team of that story, you realize like they're all doing these different things all with the the goal of getting Catwoman next to Bane. So Catwoman can help uh, Bruce defeat Bane. He defeats Bane like seven times in, in this 80 issue run of, of Kings. Uh, but I, I like the lot. I really do actually like Tom King as a writer, as the way he tries to del- delve into characters deeper, um, the, how he tries to show their, their relationships. Uh, obviously, trauma is like a big theme with, with Tom King, uh, probably somewhat related to his experience in special forces. And um, I, I do appreciate Tom King as a writer, I will say. Uh, I really love Tom King's vision. I, I read that entire series and loved it. And like I said, I really did enjoy the beginnings of, of this uh, Batman run where he initially lost me. I got to say, it was two things happening at once. Um, the war of jokes and riddles. I liked the concept. It was basically this flashback to essentially Batman, like year two, I guess, uh, or maybe it's even takes place before year one. It's in the first year of Batman's existence. And I think it's, um, and basically there's this whole war in Gotham. Every villain takes a side of either the Joker or the Riddler. And I liked the setup in the beginning, but it just went on and on and on and on. And in the middle of it, you have a two issue all right, I don't mind Tom King's obsession with Kite Man in theory. I don't mind him sprinkling the character. He has basically resuscitated Kite Man in a way no one thought he Resuscitated? No, someone, a character has to be alive once to be resuscitated. <laughs> he didn't resuscitate anything. No one ever cared or heard about Kite Man before. 
I don't mind ch- putting this character in there and just uh, if it's a character Tom King liked as a kid and likes to insert him into storylines, I'm okay with that. All right, where I draw the lines when you give me a two issue origin story of Kite Man in the middle of this story. And then you'd center the entire premise of the entire war around a joke about this character that I just spent eight issues reading this whole war, this epic war. And the whole punchline is that the Riddler wanted to make the Joker fucking laugh because he, and I don't really curse on the show that much, but we're going to mark this one explicit for sure. He wanted, he just wanted to make the Joker fucking laugh by bringing in a the kite man and having kite man be the whole, the whole impetus of the whole thing with all these like these people flying in on kites. And that was the whole point of the entire war. And not only that, but it changes Batman in the middle of this joke of a story and this joke of a punchline. It changes Batman's entire vow where he, we learned that he did try to kill the Riddler and he was only stopped because he got so mad, understandably, because the guy got mad. Understandably, Batman got so mad about this that, that he just had to lash out and he tries to kill the Riddler and only doesn't because the Joker steps in the way and gets stabbed instead. Uh, obviously doesn't die. Or did he? Maybe he's one of the three Jokers or one of the an, another Joker. Who knows? That's a whole different story. Uh, but that's that's where they lost me at first. And I stuck around for a couple more issues. And I, the other thing that started to annoy me, I, I get he's developing this cutesy relationship with the Catwoman and Batman. At some point, I just got so sick of hearing Bat, Cat, Bat, Cat, Bat, Cat. It's every sentence. Hey, Bat, hey, Cat, hey, Bat, hey, Cat, hey, Bat, hey, Cat. I, I couldn't take it anymore. And he, he really just lost me. I, I think the word Jokes and Riddles was really the last draw for me where I, I had to I just I had to take a step back because I he was doing too much with the character and too much of it was just based around cutesy bullshit. I don't mind cameo appearances of Kite Man saying, hell yeah, but when you base the entire premise of this war and jokes and riddles around this, and we haven't even gotten to the part that I'm going to talk about today. This is just the setup. <laughs> when you, when you, you can tell Mark entire- loves Tom King. Well, yeah. So at some point I gave up on this. It was shortly after the war of jokes and riddles. Is when I took a step back, I said, all right, I might come back to this later, but I'm not going to pay for this book every two weeks. <laughs> That's basically the decision I made. So I, I did indeed stop paying for this book, and I, I watched some of the events of Tom. Uh, I, I, I kind of kept on touch of what was happening, so I, I knew some of the events that had happened. But finally, now that the run was completely over, um, I think he went to issue 83. He was originally supposed to stay on through issue 100, so I'm not sure what exactly happened there or if that changed the pacing of, of the whole story. Um, I did go back and read everything else. I picked up from where I left off and read all the way through the end of his run through the end of city of Bane. And let's see, I I will say I didn't, I was ready to keep hating it as much as I was hating it at the time of war and jokes and riddles. And I never hated it as much as during the war and jokes and riddles. So I'll say that (laughs) I I liked, I actually do like a lot of the stories I read in there. I like a lot of what he did in there. I like a lot of the little things, I guess, Sometimes I just feel like Tom King drags things out that don't need to be dragged out. Like, for example, we had at one point we have five issues where uh, Batman has apparently we don't even know how we just last thing we got. This is the other thing that annoys me. Last thing we saw at one point is that Flashpoint Batman Thomas Wayne in the red eye Batman suit from Flashpoint appears in in Wayne Manor. Like attacked Alfred. We don't know why. We know nothing. And then we get five issues where we continue to not even know anything about this because Batman has been captured, which we'll find out later on how that happened. He's been captured and drugged by the Scarecrow and by Bane, and every, everybody's working for Bane now. That's the other thing that annoys me sometimes, which happens a lot in Batman, and it happens a lot in Tom King runs, actually. All these villains, and same thing with House of, which annoys me in House of X, but all these independent villains just suddenly fall in line and become just like cannon fodder for, the, for a main villain. Now everyone falls in line with, with Xavier and Magneto suddenly, all these characters that would never do that. Now all fascism. these characters... Yeah, and, well, fascism, <laughs> fascism brings people together. But um, 
uh, then just like in War of Jokes and Riddles, all these characters just become stooges of the Riddler or stooges of the Joker. Now every every villain, including the Joker, is a stooge of Bane. Everyone just falls in line with Bane. And I guess we're probably supposed to believe that Bane's control of the Psycho Pirate probably has something to do with this, which I guess you could, they never really explain that too deeply, but Psycho Pirate's already always around. You know that he has the ability to manipulate people's emotions. Uh, I think Tom King leans on Psycho Pirate throughout his run way too much. It's like, uh, the character's cool to be there for a minute, but at some point it seems like any, anytime any character's do something ah psycho pirate he's there bane's got psycho pirate um so yeah those little cop-out moments i actually came in meaning to compliment this this this, uh the story more because i actually didn't enjoy a lot of it um but like we don't need i don't need five issues of batman having dreams i just don't need that Uh, there's five issues where we never even get addressed what just happened with with thomas wayne and i can't imagine if i was reading this and picking up in the store every two weeks where i just saw flashpoint fucking batman appear out of nowhere attack alfred and now i have to spend five issues with batman going through these dreams and all the dreams are saying the same thing and i get it i get this is tom things tom king tom thing tom king's (laughs) overall theme with batman can batman be happy and be batman can he fall in love and have a happy marriage and still be batman still maintain the the ferocity the vengeance of batman while being a happy character uh that's what tom king is exploring the whole time um but I don't need five dreams to, to, to hammer that home more than it's already been hammered home at that point. Some of them were imaginative. Some of them were interesting. I just, I, but at some point I'm like, can you, can we get back to what the fuck's going on with, with Thomas Wayne and Flashpoint Batman showing up? Can you at least address this? Can you give me a scene? I have to go five issues. If I was reading this every two weeks, I would have gone like three months, three months, not having any idea why Flashpoint Batman just showed up. Um, another thing that really annoyed me is how, uh, yeah, I had all this list of like things I was, that I was going to compliment on. But Did I you like this? It's more, <laughs> I, thought, I thought I did. And now I, I liked it. Like I said, I like, I, I, I like agree it. with you for a lot of it because I, and as anyone who's part of the second print comics fan zone group will know, we have some very, very few rules, but you know, they are, they're, they're very definitive. So don't break them. But one is that we're currently not reading Tom King because Tom King is a dick online to people. But with the, with that said, I've but never I can read old Tom King because that was grandfathered in. So that was yeah, okay. yeah. So there's pre-Dick and after-Dick um, Tom King. But like with him, I think he's a phenomenal writer. I love a lot of his stuff, but he has these moments where I don't think he knows what he needs to do to fill time. So he just prolongs yes. certain scenes yes. as he's trying to think up what to do next. And it's yes. in those scenes that make the story lag. He's like a Christopher Nolan film where there's a lot of cool stuff, mm-hmm. but you've got like 90% filler just trying to figure out what's happening. I think that sums it up. It's like, I don't necessarily hate a lot of what he does. I like a lot of what he does with characters, but like he, he just puts in so much filler where it's like, you clear, he clearly knows where he wants to end up. But he doesn't. He can't get there yet because he's got to fill a certain number of issues. So oh, I'll do eight issues of the War of Jokes and Riddles, and I'll have a two-issue Kite Man origin story in there. I don't need that. Um, I don't need five issues of Batman dreaming. One issue is fine. Maybe even two. Five? No, it's it's ridiculous. And, and they're all the same dream at the end of the day. Some of them were imaginative. Like I kind of like the one where he was following the question around, trying to get. I don't know. I like some of it. It's not like I hate. I don't hate them all in a bubble, like as individual issues. But as as they are relating to an entire story that essentially took like forty issues to play out, it's like come on at some point. Um, and the other, the big thing I think, and, and a lot of fans that complained about this, is the way Catwoman just left him at the altar because all because Bane that was, was also such a bitch move. Not the altar, they, yeah, on a rooftop where they were going to get married. And Still, because 
and the explanation for it is even dumber because the explanation is that Bane is controlling Holly Robinson, like Selena's friend that she had like helped get escape from some orphanage or some stupid shit. And that's a whole another thing. And Tom was <laughs> wrong that I hated everything about that character, that addition of that Holly Robinson character. Uh, but anyway, she meets up with Catwoman and says some line of like, I forget what the exact line was like. Can can he really be happy, or can you really be happy with it? something like that? And then Selena has that moment. Oh my God! No, he can't be Batman and be happy. So I have to leave him. So she doesn't show up, and Batman's fucking depressed, and uh, all this other stuff happens. I don't know. What do you think about the issue? I have. I'm not sure what I think about it. the issue where he was on the jury uh, of Mister Freeze. Do you know? Did you read that story? Yeah, it, and, it's uh, one. Of, it's it's. He just, basically convinces the jury to that Batman is a idiot and a piece of shit and he got this investigation wrong so they should acquit Mr. Freeze because Batman did faulty evidence gathering, which it does turn out was true. But I, I thought that story is one of those moments where like he, Tom King, okay, here, here's my problem with Tom King and I also think this is one of his strengths as well. He ignores a lot of continuity. So there's no way ever you would have uh, a jury trial like the one you saw of Mr. Freeze because Mr. <laughs> no. Freeze has been going around murdering people and causing chaos for decades. Yeah. So now basically have ignored that. And they're trying to basically say that Mr. Freeze is a victim of circumstances. It, it's just really odd. And the implications of what happens if now you're allowing the, the evidence and stuff that Batman collects to be admissible evidence, even in a comic book world, even the cops say you can't have vigilantes get involved with this because everything would get screwed up and you can't use, uh, you know, unauthorized, unobtainable evidence as something in the court of law. So what that does is that not only fools the reader into wondering what is serious and what's not, but if that is considered something that we're going to have to pay, you know, play, play back to later in future stories, what that basically means is that Batman should Everyone probably Batman stop. Has ever, yeah, Batman should probably stop. But let Two Face out. Let the Joker out. Let all of them out. Let them all out of Arkham. None of it. Yeah, matters. How is anyone in jail then? <laughs> yeah, it's like they suddenly. It's like they suddenly now decided to do this. Yeah, no, that that was their, stupid. They've all had their due process violated by Batman at one point or another. Yeah, I feel like with Tom King, one of his strengths is also one of his big biggest weaknesses. He has like these big philosophical questions he wants to answer through his stories, and he uses the characters improperly sometimes. And he hammers it home so much over your head. I don't mind the theme at all. I kind of like the theme actually of can Batman be happy and still be Batman. But boy, he he, he takes a, a just sledgehammer and just beats you with it over the head. It's like I get, we get it. Yeah, you told us about it in five different dreams and thirty-seven different scenes. I totally get what you're saying here. And twenty more scenes with uh, with Flashpoint Batman. Um, man, I guess I thought I liked this more than I did. Now that I'm talking about it, because I actually, it's like like I said, I it got you thinking. Of- that's what thinking. I'll say. Like, well, if you if you hate him or not, no one can deny that Tom King is a good writer. It's just that he does these Tom King isms that bug people. Do you feel like he tries to prove that he had a plan all along too much? Sometimes, like, like at the end when he tries to explain Bane's entire plan this whole time, uh, and like he, he he inserts every little story he had. Like one of the stories was a uh, Bat Point, where we saw a different future uh, that that like Booster Gold had showed him, at, you know, as like a birthday present. And uh, but that was also part of what make him made him question like, can he still be Batman if he's happy? Because he's just like he's it's, things are different in Gotham City. Mm-hmm. Things are actually worse in Gotham City in that future. Uh, and it was all just like I don't know. It was like a dream, or Batman saw the future, or whatever. But then then they even insert like, oh yeah, Bane manipulated Skeets, and then reprogram skeets and the t- it's like all it's all this they have to tie in everything as if every little thing that happened in, in the entire 
you know, in the entirety of Tom King's run was Bane manipulating things. And I, again, I like that in concept, but in, in driving it home over 80 issues, it's just like too much. And, uh, and then I, I guess my biggest gripe too. Yeah. And then he gets back with Catwoman and then it's like, it's no big deal. Well, that shit didn't happen earlier. What's that? Oh, it's like all that shit didn't happen earlier. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. I know why you left me. It's, it's like, it's not your fault. I, it's me. And it's like, no, she left you. That was messed up. At she did that willingly. Her. She was not coerced by that. Yeah. She came to that conclusion herself. They, they, it was way too forgiving and way too, oh, now we're just back together and everything's fine at the end. It's like, okay. I mean, man, if someone leaves you like that and doesn't even say a word, that's messed up. You just should have more of a talk about that or have the respect for him to say why you're leaving him at least like, come on. Anyway, that just really pissed me off how easily he forgave her. And then, um, and then, uh, the whole thing with Thomas Wayne, Batman, again, I like a lot of what he's trying to do with the story, but it was just like out of nowhere. And then suddenly he became almost the main villain, almost like he was manipulating Bane. And then, so um, that makes like the last 30 issues of Batman, like irrelevant. Yeah. Almost. It was like, they switched the villain, even while it's still called city of Bane. Um, I mean, he was just assisting Bane, but it was, it became more like he was manipulating the process because he wanted to show Bruce that he shouldn't be Batman. He should just be happy. And it's like, oh my God. And, and this is like a different Thomas Wayne than we saw in Flashpoint. That Thomas Wayne was like, was, was a vigilante and was brutal, but he was still like sort of a good guy. You know, he was still, he still helped them win. I don't, Um, I don't think he understood the character. I think here's the thing. Even if he doesn't, even if he does, okay, I'll, I'll say this, and this might sound a little complicated, but I, it does make some sense if you follow the logic. Tom King does know these characters, but that doesn't mean he feels he has to be chained to what has happened previously. Therefore, if he feels that it would be better to do something a different way, he will just do like an entire 180 on a current character's progression and just force like a a round peg into a square hole. So that way it makes sense to him, but for anyone that keeps up with it, it's like it doesn't feel right. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it because it, it makes sense in a sense of if you break down his whole story, you can point to every little thing and it sort of makes sense, but it doesn't feel right. <laughs> I, I guess that, that is a way to sum it up. Also, the whole thing with Gotham Girl, like he became, she became Flashpoint Batman's Robin who was essentially helping run the city of Bane. I mean, for like months was a villain. I, I, and then I hate suddenly it. she's forgiven. I oh, hated oh, those here additions. You go. Oh, I not only are you forgiven, not only are you forgiven, this is this drive me crazy. It's one thing if Batman forgives her for being manipulated by Thomas Wayne and Bane and, and helping run the city of Bane and all this shit. Uh, that's one thing. But then he gives her this platinum kryptonite that essentially gives her the same powers as Superman permanently. It's not only have you forgiven her, but you've given her so much trust that you are going to permanently give her the same powers as Superman? Really, Batman? That's, that's the thing you should do to this psycho who's gone back and forth on you a couple times here? Yeah, no, stupid. Okay, I guess I didn't like this run as much as I thought. I thought I was good. <laughs> I'm waiting like, for that for that like you know silver. I guess it's just more that I, because on an individual level, I enjoyed a lot of it. Is the weird thing that that's the strange thing. But it's it's on the the when I take a when I zoom out of it, a lot of the stories I might enjoy on a kind of like individual basis. I don't like how they you know are how they kind of play out with the grander vision of the character. And then there's just some things that just annoy me forever. So like Bat Cat, Bat Cat, Bat Cat, Bat Cat. Was it worth the read? Ah, yeah, because I like ranting and raving about things, so <laughs> it gave me a reason to do that. Well, it was like, it's like me and Superman grounded. It's like the story is terrible, but it's like watching a bad movie that's comically good. That's how I feel about yeah, the Tom yeah. King Batman run. Like, I think the I Am Suicide arc was really good, but the rest of it is 
poor. Like Batman versus Superman any more than I will. He's you know you, the thing about comic book writers that makes them different from like actual authors is actual authors they're they're pretty consistent with whether they really suck or they're really good. With comic writers, you write enough stories, you're going to have some atrocious shit, and then you're going to have some gems. All right. Well, I would say that's enough on Tom King, but I'll be mentioning him in, in a little bit again. But uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to pull you back to Tom King because here's my one, okay. Mr. Miracle by Tom okay. King. I'll say right now, I read <laughs> half of this and I stopped. What? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is an example. I think Tom King is good when you give him a contained story that's going to have a definitive end. You saw this with Vision that he did at Marvel. Mr. Miracle, uh, a Jack Kirby creation, one of the new gods, is basically taking this real corny DC hero and putting him into a modern context where essentially uh, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, and his wife, Big Barda, are basically celebrities. And he was he was and is in the comics. He's, a, he's a bit like a David Copperfield type of guy but that's his power gift he can get out of any situation he can escape from everything that's why back on the planet apocalypse um granny goodness who raised him as dark side's adopted son nicknamed him scott free because he could get away scott free so what you have at the very beginning of the story is something that really uh kind of caught me off guard it's um let me see it, it's <sighs> okay so basically mr miracle tries to kill himself that's it he tries to kill himself and we don't know why and the entire series can be encapsulated as this he doesn't know how he was able to live he doesn't know if that's his power that he might just not ever be able to die but the big question that barda and all the other heroes have to ask is like why did you try and do it and throughout this not only does he try and figure that out but he also has another problem parenthood he has a kid and when, so once you bring a child into the situation, it just makes everything more complicated. So ultimately, the story is this. Um, you know, what does it mean to be somebody who's hit rock bottom and you have to pull yourself back up to be a hero that everyone needs, as well as what really defines heroism? Is it actually going out and, you know, performing heroic acts? Or is it dealing with things that you're ultimately afraid of and forcing and, you know, forcing yourself to deal with them despite not wanting to? It's a big psychological story. It ultimately has a good ending. Uh, I think this is one of Tom King's best works because if you can take a really a BC rated character like, um, like Mr. Miracle and you can bring them into this way where they almost seem human in a way, I think you've done a good job. And what I like about this is it was always like a 13 issue maxi series. So Tom King is forced to be a lot more condensed in this than he would on a typical run where he just thinks he's going to get like another 10 issues or so. So I think this is an example of Tom King at his best. Is Mr. Miracle in continuity? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. That's another thing because this is right when we're supposed to have baby dark side at the at the time. That was another thing that confused me. If I if I'm if it was supposed to fit in with this baby dark side that we had at, at that time in the continuity when it was released, but who knows? Um, I, I did enjoy what I I don't know. It's like I liked it. It's just like a lot of Tom King stuff. I liked it conceptually and I liked it on an individual basis. But by issue six, I found it so repetitive and I didn't feel like it was going anywhere. 
I just felt like we're just going in this cycle of dark side is dark side is why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? I felt like it wasn't proceeding. It was like, it was just like he knew he had to do 13 issues. So he wanted to just drag this whole thing out and go in a circle. And I mean, I, I will go back and read the whole thing and give it a full view now. But like I said, I reached a point where I didn't feel like paying for it every month. Um, so I'm interested enough to finish it. I will give him the benefit of the doubt on the grand vision of the whole thing. Uh, if I can go back and read, you know, 40 more issues of Batman, I can go back and read six more issues of Mr. Miracle. So well, one thing I on my get back to it list. Well, one thing I will say I kind of liked about it is that whenever Scott Free is out of his Mr. Miracle costume uh he's always wearing a different t-shirt for a different hero kind of like what you see real people wear like when i walk around like a superman shirt or something i walk around like batman green lantern it's um it's i don't know he, he does little things like that that capture your attention i don't know if that was him or the artist but that's a tom king ism right there when he tries to have it appear more cinematic in ways than just being in just another comic book story yeah. So yeah, no, I think, I think I think I so I read it in in one sitting. I don't know if if I was reading it issue by issue uh, as it was coming out that I would have felt the same way about it. See, okay, that's because I was reading it issue by issue at the time it was coming out originally, and then I at some point just decided eh, I don't need to keep. I feel like the last three issues were the same as the you know were the same almost. Like they didn't it didn't compel me to continue reading it. Uh, knowing that at some point I would probably go back and read the whole thing. So I guess that's where I am now. So maybe we'll circle back and, and talk about this one a little bit more in a, a future edition. I think this is a, a show we can kind of do somewhat regularly, just kind of, you know, what we've been reading over the last few months. We can kind of dip back. I'm into cool with that. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's a couple more I want to talk about. I, I think I can combine two into one, even though one of us is going to require to discuss Tom King a little more. But one thing <laughs> I want to catch up on, because I read, I started reading. Hey, we, we, Mark and I did not know what we were going to be talking about on our list until like right when we recorded. So the fact that, you know, there's so much Tom King in here, despite the fact that, you know, we're not personally fans of him. It's it's funny. Yeah, for someone we dislike so much, we sure are talking a lot about. I it. hate you, but you're so are, good at. What are we going to tag? Are we going to tag him in Twitter on this episode? So no, all of our criticism. No, no, no. I don't want to. I don't want his Twitter we, troll mom. We might out. be able to start a, a blood feud with him. Come on, it's the kind of attention we need. He lives in Alexandria, which is 20 minutes away from me. I don't need a former <laughs> CIA dude get pissed because I criticized his work. All right, fair enough. That's a little too close to home for you. Uh, yeah, he's he's got friends, you know. I'd like an ocean um, between us at minimum. <laughs> He's probably friends with Anonymous from the Secret War story. In probably. Two. And, that, and Anonymous is a crazy mofo. So I don't want to mess with him either. But one thing that I wanted to catch up on, like I said, the pandemic, I wanted to catch up on some more modern things that I just kind of fell off on the stories of. And I was really intrigued by the, the story of Wally West being brought back in Rebirth as basically having it trapped outside the time stream and now being integrated back into DC continuity. And when I picked up Death Metal, I saw he was very different. His character changed completely. He was blue now, uh, for one. And I really had no idea what happened. Remzo kind of mentioned a couple stories to read. So I went back and read the, the two of the stories anyway that led to the current status of Wally West as sort of a, a godlike being-ish. Although I'm still not sure how he got captured in Death Metal because I never read that in any story. But anyway, We're still figuring out. that out at the okay. time of this recording. We're still figuring out how that happened. Because there's two stories that I read to catch up. One is by Tom King called Heroes in Crisis. I'm just going to say it right now. This is one of the worst series I've ever it's read. It's the worst series I've ever read. <laughs> it might be the worst. It's, it's unbelievable. If it's I was paying- so bad other writers said we will not reference it. There's another, this is another one. I actually got the first issue or two of this at the time. And I couldn't, I was like, at first I was like, I'll just, I'll just stick it out for a whole, it's what, six issues. In theory, I think it became seven issues, then eight issues. They kept adding to it because Tom King has to drag everything out, has to have two issues of Harley Quinn fighting, you know, fighting a uh, booster gold. 
Um, but yeah, th- this uh, th- basically all these heroes are secretly going to this this place where they can uh, vent their frustrations and vent and basically they get therapy from this robot. Uh, this basically this like um, it's like the real world on MTV. Yeah. But with heroes and feelings. Yeah, they're all living in this house, but they're not supposed to know about each other. I'm not going to solve the whole thing because it's it's really just a bunch of crap. And and the and but <laughs> at some point we find out that right in the beginning we find out that a bunch of heroes were killed. Uh, they don't know how, uh, including Arsenal um, and including uh, Wally West are probably the two biggest characters. A lot of the, the other ones are pretty minor. <clears throat> we don't know why, and eventually we find out what happened. Well, spoiler alert, friends, because here comes the fucking retarded explanation for this. <laughs> Wally West is is depressed and losing his mind because of his reintegration into this new reality where his wife, Linda Park from his other reality doesn't recognize him. His his kids aren't here. He's all depressed. At one point he loses control of, of his speed force powers and kills all these characters, including Roy Harper, uh, Arsenal and a couple other minor characters. Um, so what he does is he goes five days into the future and talks to future version of himself who he kills. He brings that body back and the other future version of him agrees with this. He brings that body back to put there to try to, fr- and then he tries to frame Booster Gold and Harlequin by reprogramming the thing so they each think they saw the other one kill everybody, which also doesn't make sense. Why would you not just show one person killing? It? Why would you even make it confusing? Why don't you frame one person? Not you don't frame two people. Like that's just gonna lead. That's to a lot of effort just to kill yourself. Yeah, just to kill yourself. And ugh, worse than all that, when the heroes figure it out and they end up five days in the future to stop him and talking out of it and talk to the other Flash. And I, can't, I still don't today understand the explanation of how this all figured out. They, they come up with some cockamamie explanation where he no longer had, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Instead of killing the Flash this time, uh, they go into the future and, me, and make a clone body from him and bring and then just make that clone body dead and then bring that body back. So that's the body they find that they think is Wally West. And everyone just lets off, like Gotham Girl, just lets him off the hook. Uh, Wally West doesn't want to be let off the hook. He's like, shouldn't I go to jail or something? They're like, nah, it's all good. Water under the bridge. Like, you just killed eight people and tried to cover things up and it's all water under the bridge. This is just a horrendous story. I mean, it's, it's horrendous in every way. The concept sucks. The execution sucks. The explanation sucks. The characters suck nobody comes across as a good character in this and it's absolutely terrible. And I can't even believe it's part of DC continuity, but it is because it leads directly into this story called flash forward, which because, because heroes in crisis was so bad. I intentionally did not need flash forward. So the only reason I'm reading anything with this flash right now, because he's been tainted by the Tom King isms max is because I like uh, dark Knight's death metal. Only reason why. Yeah. That's really the only reason why too. I wanted to find out how, how we got to this point. Uh, flash forward is basically, um, I mean, this is okay. I mean, this isn't great. The King uh, write that? No, no, no. So we're going to let Tom, Tom King off the hook for that. Uh, who did write flash forward? I'm trying to remember now. Anyway, uh, this is basically where we pick up with Wally West. He is basically whisked away into the multiverse by this character, this new character called Tempest Fugit. Oh, it's by, uh, oh, Tempest Fugit. Yeah. yeah Tempest, Tempest Fugit who whisks him off, gives him this rod, and he's, he's trying to stop all this dark matter from all these that's invading all these realities, blah, 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 blah. Um, and basically it comes down to, this is all to get Wally West to, basically Wally West ends up, I don't even really understand why this happens. Tempest Fujinat was basically sent to turn Wally West into this other, this other thing that was going to you know be able to help us defeat the dark multiverse eventually, and eventually sent him to defeat the the um the batman who laughs which is currently going on in death metal so we'll see how that all plays out as we record this uh but uh essentially wally west ends up 
I don't know, discover, finding himself. He finds his kids and his wife on this dark planet that is really just a creation of his mind or something like that. Or um, something like that. <laughs> or something like that. And eventually he sits in the in Metron's Mobius chair, which was a which was last uh, occupied by Owlman and Batman before him in Jeff Johns' Dark Side War back in Justice League uh, in the New 52. Uh, and then it, it also, I, it's really confusing, but he sits in Metron's chair, which means he has all the knowledge of everything that's ever happened. So now he's this omniscient um, being basically. And he also, I guess it's not really explained, but he also gets imbued with the powers of Dr. Manhattan, I guess because Dr. Manhattan killed Owlman and Metron when they had that chair. And I guess when he did that, some of his powers infused with the chair and now Wally West has those powers, I guess. It's not really clear. They just say like, oh, and I've got the powers of a God and they reference uh, Dr. Manhattan. So I'll, I'll say this. I hate the fact that they've brought Dr. Manhattan back. I, I, I stopped. I've stopped liking it. He's yeah, such a cop okay. out for things right now. There was no reason for him. He's just a giant de- deus ex machina to, to do anything that they want to do. Um, and I, I guess he's, yeah, I don't know. It, it depends on how in continuity doomsday clock it is. I guess it is, but they still haven't referenced the events of doomsday clock. They only reference the existence of Dr. Manhattan, which we saw in rebirth. So you can imagine that doomsday clock takes place outside of continuity with a, I don't know. It's confusing. Um, as, as if, with everything with DC. What year is this? <laughs> what year is this? Uh, so yeah, eventually this whole story is just a giant, like seven, six issues to get Wally West to be this omniscient being where he's now blue. He's now omniscient. He now has Dr. Manhattan power. So he's very powerful. And he's also is still this multiversal being that, uh, is, you know, infused with the speed force. So Wally West is crazy powerful. And I still don't know why in the beginning of, um, this might've happened in the pages of something else. He is a prisoner in the beginning of death metal, despite all this power. So I don't know why, but I, I at least know why the character is what he is now. Um, this I didn't hate this much story as much as it sounded. It was kind of fun. Like it wasn't offensive or anything. Um, it could have just been one issue. Like <laughs> here he gets powers. That would have been fine. Uh, I can't really recommend reading it. I think my summary of it. If you're wondering what happened with Wally West, this is enough. He has. He, it's he has nice supplementary runs. material, but no one's gonna remember this in a few years. Yeah. I would have never recommend paying for this. I read this on Hoopla where it was completely free to read. So that, that's why I decided to read it. But uh, I guess I'm caught up on Wally West. That's about all I can say about that. Well, Mark, we, we've covered a lot in this uh, episode. Now, I mean, we have more we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to go ahead and publish my whole entire uh, pandemic reading list on, on, the, on the website, secondprintcomics.com. Uh, the Here's last an idea. I'm going yeah, go to toss out an idea for you right now live. You're on the spot. Do it. And uh, this is kind of – I'm putting you on the spot here for something I haven't discussed, but I think we can do it. What if we did a bonus episode? For our patrons only, where we go over the couple books that we didn't finish. Not not right now, not right this I'm okay second, with but, that. Yeah. Yeah, by the time this episode airs, we'll do a bonus episode and uh, we'll go over a couple more books that we didn't get to. How about that? I'm cool with that. Yeah. This will be a supplementary episode eight coming for fans of the Second Print Podcast. Just another reason to consider supporting us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash second print pod. And of course, another reason on top of that, if you do it by October 1st at any level, we'll send you a copy of X-Men number one. The very rare, very valuable. Boom. Well, there you go, folks. Hey, you know, I, 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 I think doing the bonus episode for this and finishing off is better than me writing it because now Mark has really made me question whether or not I like half the stuff I actually read. <laughs> so there you go. As always, go ahead and follow us across all the magical social media. You know how the internet works. I'm Remster W. Martinez. And I'm Mark Claire. And don't forget, friends, read comics.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.